some sugar on me. Oh, in the name of love, pour some sugar on me. Come on, fire me up. Pour some sugar on me. I can't get enough. I don't actually, uh, I don't know if that was like the right melody or whatever, but it felt um, good. You know what? It's okay. I, once again, thank you everyone for joining the most professional, <laughs> uh, the most polished and the, no, yeah, no, your singing is great. I was going to say out of all of the beer and brewing podcasts that exist, uh, I'll just go ahead and say it. I think we're the best singers yeah. Oh, um, yeah. with the best songs. To not even get me started. <laughs> I will sing. <laughs> and sing well and with gusto and with sweetness. I don't know. That didn't really exactly no. work out well, but welcome everyone to uh, False Bottom Girls. I think I've already said that, but we are back in this episode. Uh, so for our last episode, we talked about bitterness and where bitterness in beer comes from, namely hot bitterness, um, a little bit about the IBU myth. And so today we are balancing that out by talking about sweetness. Yes. And uh, we're doing this one actually a little bit different because as you may remember in our last episode, we were talking about the importance of sweetness and bitterness in beer, balancing each other out in some form or another. What we're talking about today when we're talking about sweetness is actually going to be a little bit different from that. We are talking about adding sugars as a specialty ingredient to your beers, uh, specifically fermentable sugars. And then we'll Mm -hmm. touch a little bit on non-fermentable sugars at the end. Uh, But what you may remember from our last episode uh, is Sweetness is one of our five basic tastes, right? So we have sweet, salty, sour, bitter, and umami. And sweetness evolutionarily was important because it would signal to us foods that had a lot of nutritive value. And we, as humans, are very, very smart, smarter than our brains, uh, which sounds like a very dumb person thing to say, but... (laughs) you know, we've determined that sweetness and sugar specifically is something that as humans in our lizard brains, we really, really love sugar. And so sugar is now in everything, like to huge amounts. So if you are in the United States, you probably consume about 40 teaspoons of sugar per day. And when we're talking about that, we're not talking about sitting down with a sack of sugar and a teaspoon and doing that 40 times. We're talking about everything. Um, so sh- Rachel, how much sugar is in whatever you're looking at? I right don't want to tell you. <laughs> Rachel immediately grabs something off camera and starts looking. Oh, total sugars, zero grams includes zero grams added sugars. I find it hard to believe because it's a pack of freaking cheese. It's. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure it's got something in there to make up for it. A lot of salt. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so, you know, sugar started with sugar cane. Um, that was the world's primary source of sugar for a very long time. And sugar cane is actually a species of grass, but we can find sugar oh. in a lot of different ways. So lots of, sat- lots of aids, lots of saturated. Oh, good. <laughs> lots of polyunsaturated, monounsaturated. 
but no, I don't see any. I think I think they might be telling me the truth. All right. But hey, I just got lucky. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen this Facebook meme that goes around and it shows you like this child made like a poster of like different sugar intakes. Like if you drink this, you drink this. It like had the Coke bottle full of sugar. Mm-hmm. How much sugar is in that Coke bottle? It's disgusting. Yeah. It's disgusting. My dad is addicted. To, like my dad and my sister too. They're both addicted to Coke. Like, yeah, he's getting better. Where he's doing like uh, one cola? a day. Coca-Cola? Yeah, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, I should. I should clarify. Coca Cola, soda. Not sure. cocaña. Far as I know, they're not addicted to cocaña. All right. So when we're talking about types of sugar, uh, what? most of the fermentable sugars we'll be talking about today are all going to be some variation of sucrose, but you also have fructose, which is from fruit, um, glucose, which is from glue, sucrose, which is going to be like table sugar. (laughs) Hey, pack up. (laughs) Pretty sure glucose is not from glue. Oh, well then where is it from Rachel? Oh, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) you must got me. Uh, and lactose is from milk. So, you know, fructose is the most of the naturally occurring sugars. Fructose is the sweetest. So again, think about fruit, right? Fruit is in a lot of ways, very sweet. Um, it has quite a bit of acidity too, but it, it has a ton of fructose in it. And in fermentation, fructose and sucrose break down into, into glucose. Correct. Yes. So that's how yeast, because yeast consumes glucose in those order. And he likes to, likes to break them down. So just- Right. Yeah. So then the other thing we can talk about is just briefly is artificial sweeteners. Yeah. So things that are saccharin, so like sweet and low, um, aspartame. Uh, so aspartame is 200 times sweeter than sucrose. And that's what's used in most diet soda. So when you're looking for, I'm not a soda drinker, uh, but like the diet sodas, I think some of their claim is it like, it doesn't have sugar. It's like, yeah, it doesn't have sugar, but it's got something that's way worse in it. Um, and then sucralose is what Splenda is. So OSE, that is a sugar, um, sucralose. sugar molecule, but most of the time, luckily people aren't using artificial sweeteners in beer. So when we're talking about fermentable sugars and beer, Um, We have several different kinds, but I think for most of our, like our homebrewers out there, the corn sugar, which is also dextrose glucose is probably what you're most familiar with because that is what is used for bottle conditioning. Um, Or I've used corn sugar in a double IPA recipe where I just want to add the simplest sugar I possibly can, because like Rachel said, yeast wants to eat glucose. So adding that simplest sugar you possibly can. So the yeast will eat all of that and give you a very dry finish. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so corn sugar is what I, is what I don't bottle condition very often, but typically for homebrewers, if you are, uh, you know, bottle conditioning at home because you don't force carbonate, then you're going to use something like uh, priming, priming sugar or priming pellet, which is basically like a sugar pill. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or you're going to make basically a simple syrup with corn sugar to, uh, give the remaining yeast in your beer, something to eat. And that's going to create carbonation in your beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, same idea with the bottle conditioning. Uh, sometimes it, with cast beer, sometimes it will be at it yes. to, do, to do the same reason. If you kind of missed the 
opportune time to fill a cask from the fermenter where you could rely on the yeast to make that carbonation for you. You could always throw in a little priming sugar and that will give it that sparkle it needs. And so same idea as bottle conditioning, not all the time in cask beer, but it can be used if you need it in cask beer. When we're talking about sucrose, that is, um, Rachel is correct, that sucrose is a disaccharide. So sucrose is table sugar. It's made up of a fructose and a glucose. So quickly, because we just Googled this um, in this universe that you don't get to hear um, in, the, in the background of the <laughs> podcast, uh, there are, when, it, when we're talking about sugars, there are three monosaccharides. So mono meaning one, uh, that's going to be fructose, glucose, and galactose. Sucrose, table sugar, is a disaccharide. So that is a fructose plus a glucose. So yeast will break that down into the fructose and into the glucose. But like Rachel said, that the glucose, the simplest sugar that it can is what yeast really wants to eat. But let's talk a little bit about some of the other, since we're talking more about specialty ingredients today, um, as you are listening to this, we are terrifyingly about three months away from our master cicerone exam because oh my God. July. I'm sorry to have to tell you that, Rachel, but <sighs> so I kill myself. As we are. Yeah. And you know what? I don't think there's going to be a um a postponement this time. So <laughs> we've had no. two years at this point to get ready for it. But um, you know, talking through what kind of looking through the subject matter and seeing what we wanted to talk about as really as a way for us to learn as well as, you know, talking to you all about it, the, like the specialty ingredients when it comes to things like specialty sugars, I don't have a ton of experience with it, but after getting ready for this podcast episode, I think I'm going to go to the store and see how many of these specialty sugars I can find to be able to try each of them because there are several different kinds of specialty sugars. And, you know, I don't, there's been a lot of talk lately about how things like the Cicerone program, how the beer industry as a whole can be more inclusive. And I think one of the ways it can be is to stop referring to sugars that are really commonly used in other cultures as specialty. Like maybe mm -hmm. they're specialty to us, but that doesn't mean that they're a specialty, yeah. you know, like they're, they are to so just say um, other sugars, right? More or sugars. Just sugars, sugars, here's sugars, <laughs> um, rather than specialty sugars, because in other cultures, it's not a specialty sugar. Maybe sucrose is a specialty sugar. Uh, so just, just a note, if anybody from, um, any place that is trying to be more inclusive is listening, maybe start with, um, doing that. So let's talk. We have six special kinds of sugars that when we are done here, I'm going to go on a hunt and see how many of these I can find. And then how many <sighs> of these I can taste. Well, and then I'm going to be all hopped up on sugar <laughs> because I will have just eaten like, so six of my 40 teaspoons of sugar, <laughs> oh my sugar intake are going to be literally just me with six bags uh. of sugar and a teaspoon tasting each one of these. Well, yeah, let's start with the first one. All right, so the first one uh, on that we're going to talk about is Demerara. 
So Demerara. Rachel, would you like to tell me about, have you ever had Demerara? No. Have you had any of these sugars on the, the list? Only, the only one I've used is Turbinado. Okay. Or had, I guess, because I haven't, I don't think I've eaten any of these either. Right. Demerara okay. is a type of cane sugar. It has a little bit of toffee flavor and it's used in place of brown sugar. Demerara, Demerara, Turbinado, Mus- Muscovado, 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 and Barbados sugars are all cane sugars with varying degrees of molasses character. Which I think that makes sense. Like as I was reading through this list that we have, it's like Demerara, Muscovado, and Turbinado. I was reading through and I'm like, oh, okay, this sounds like these are all basically brown sugar. Not exactly brown sugar, but yeah, like you just said, it's a cane sugar that has varying degrees of molasses. So when we're talking about molasses, let's skip to that really quickly, just because I know you've got a really great section in here about molasses. Uh, So we'll talk about what molasses is, and then we'll jump back to our sugars that have molasses in them. Yeah. So molasses is a dark syrup and a byproduct from processing sugar beets or sugar cane. When they're first uh, pr- to produce them, they're first the beets are crushed and their juice is extracted, and then the juice is boiled down until it forms sugar crystals. Um, and then the remaining liquid, the sugar is extracted, and the remaining liquid is the molasses. Yeah, what was I learning? Something else um, is created that way too, um, and now I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was molasses, but I also kind of think about it as when you think about like what a centrifuge does with beer. Yeah. Right. You know, like it kind of like spins it. Oh, it's um, malt syrups are made the same way. Oh, gotcha, so when yeah. they are malt, not malt syrups, but malt extract. So okay. dry malt extract okay. is basically like run, you know, it's the malt syrup is run through a centrifuge and then all of the powder that collects, that's what dry malt extract is. And so molasses is kind of made the same way, only like the flip side of that, where like the liquid is what you want is molasses and then the sugar stays behind. But uh, yeah, and there's different, there's light, dark and black molasses. Black strap. Black strap. Black strap. Black strap. (laughs) I just shortened it to black because I thought maybe people would just recognize it as black, but that was me not knowing. Yes. Well, and I know that lingo. because um, several years ago, like one of, I was in Chicago. So it was one of my early homebrew recipes was a black IPA because it was, you know, mid 2010s <laughs> and black IPAs were everywhere. I hope that they remain to be everywhere because they've got a little bit of Renaissance right now, but um, I brewed it with black strap molasses. I don't know where I found that recipe. If I was brewing a black IPA now I wouldn't use molasses in it, yeah, but no. um, black strap molasses, that's, that's the only reason why I know that and why it's black strap, because when you're going to look for molasses, like all of a sudden you have all of these different kinds of molasses in front of you and you're like, wait, which one was it that I needed? And it seems like the light, dark and black strap, they're all come from how much you boil. Yeah. Down. Like reading through this is kind of like a party guile, you know? Yeah, like, sort of like, yeah, or like yeah, yeah. I guess like a reverse kinda, party guile. Yeah, kind of like yeah, yeah, like you're boiling more, boiling reverse, more off. Reverse party guile sounds like a sex position. That's <laughs> all. I'll stop. Will you please draw that for me and send it to me right away? <laughs> I need, I need yes. a visual explanation of a reverse poly guile. Yeah, no, that's. Um, I'll put it on our Instagram. Not to be confused with the reverse party guile. 
Right. Which I, I might need a description of both. That would right. <laughs> oh, oh man, this is going to be my whole day. So <laughs> well, we, yeah, we got way <laughs> off topic there, but um, I will still stand by the fact that reverse party guile sounds like a sex position. Don't send us pictures of what you think that is. Um, <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> no. Please don't. Or no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> anyway, we've gotten way off topic. Yeah. When, sorry. Back to molasses. Yes. Back to <laughs> molasses. <laughs> There are unsulfured versus sulfured molasses. So I guess sulfur dioxide is used as a preservative for molasses. Keep it from spoiling. Okay. That makes sense. SO2. You know, so um, I guess if you have a preference, you can get unsulfured molasses where it's made from naturally ripened sugar canes. So it's sweeter and has a cleaner sugar cane flavor than sulfured molasses. But I'm assuming the shelf life is short. Yeah, that's what I was reading through that and was like, it, it seems like sulfured molasses is probably like when you go to the grocery store, that's been sulfured because it has a long shelf, shelf life. Yeah. If you're stopping at a roadside stand with homemade molasses, then it's probably yeah, unsulfured. Because how did the molasses company grow? Like you can't just have your products spoil all the time. You can't become a big molasses company. Big molasses. That's how big. Mo- you know how they grow slow. Slow is molasses. That's how com- <laughs> that's how molasses companies grow. Well, uh, there's also other types of molasses. Yes, pomegranate molasses, sorghum molasses, date molasses. So I'm assuming you're making this stuff from the same method, just switching yeah, up the beets. From- right, right. Um, and I've used pomegranate molasses in a beer before, and I'm trying to Sounds remember good. which beer it was, but it went into a barrel. So it was like a, oh, it was a, um, I made a wit beer. And so it was a pomegranate wit beer and I used pomegranate molasses mm. and then it went into my funky barrel and it was VV good. I want to try that with before the barrel. Sounds good. Well, I don't have a time machine like, yet. No. Oh, okay. Well, when so, you do. So we got a little off track with the, um, the reverse party guile. <laughs> And that was entirely my fault that Rachel, when we we're talking about like the light, dark and black strap molasses, you had said, and I will be, I will sit on my hands and keep my mouth shut while you are explaining the boiling process. So what makes molasses light, dark or black strap? Well, I'm assuming, I'm not sure here that you get your light and you decide you want dark. So you keep on boiling. It's not, that's kind of what I, yeah, I don't. Okay. It's confusing because the words in our notes that we, you know, we took from a re- resource because we're not born knowing this stuff. Um, it says dark, light and dark molasses are tamed from the first and second boiling, which can sound like maybe you need to do a second step, but like in my mind, it just sounds like I just keep on going until right. I get well, the color I, I want. Yeah. I think that that's what it is. Maybe it's more similar to kilning. So if you want yeah. like a higher kiln, yes. so you will put all of the same malt into your kiln. And if you want Pilsner malt, you know that you kiln it for a certain amount of time at a certain temperature. Yes. And then if you want pale malt, it, you would, you know, you don't, it's not like an, a reiterative process. It's just whatever. If yeah. you're making light molasses, then you boil it for a sh- the, like the, you do one boil. And the consistency is going, is getting thicker. Right. Right. So yeah, just like if you're making a reduction of some kind is what is what's going on here. And then with the black strap, that's going to be the thickest, the darkest and the least sweet because it's been boiling for a while. So you're boiling off those sugars. So it's going to be the most bitter tasting of all the molasses. What would you use? Molasses. 
I know like light molasses, you can use like syrup, like dark molasses, maybe like baking. What about blackstrap though? What would I use? <sighs> blackstrap, I could see if maybe you were, I would say you would use blackstrap the same way you use roasted malt. So you would use it for color uh -huh. and then for that flavor. Yeah. And you probably wouldn't use very much. Very much. Yeah. Makes sense. But so you can use all like any of those in brewing. It's important to know what the differences are because like with me using blackstrap in a black IPA, I'm going for color and I'm going for bitterness. I don't think I've ever used molasses in a beer and there's plenty of styles that you could. I yeah, mean, it's I, would, not fun. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it in every style. <laughs> like if you yeah, need sugar to up fun. your, yeah, that's part of like choosing some of these sugars too, is that you need to know what they do. Like if you, so for my Belgian beer, for example, um, in my dark Belgian beers, I really like to use the candy syrup, the Belgian simple syrup and my light Belgian beers. I really like to use turbinado. And I just okay. feel like the the yeast is kind of just cutting through that turbinado a little bit more, making it a little bit more dry, whereas I'm getting some residual sweetness from the uh, candy sugar. Right. So, so we were, um, yes, I, I agree with that. And then we were, we jumped to molasses so we could jump back to our Demerara turbinado and muscovado. Like Rachel yes. said, they are all cane sugars with varying degrees of molasses flavor. So when we're talking about molasses, uh, that is also one, you can just use molasses. Or if you're looking for those flavors and like Rachel said, you want to, like you're adding more of the sugar, then yeah. you're going to um, something like a Demerara. Uh, Demerara is the most delicate. Turbinado is a little bit darker. And then um, Barbados, Muscovado are going to be the darkest ones. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, think of, you know, using brown sugar in something as opposed to using table sugar, you're just going to get more of like a rummy character, uh, just more flavor development all around. We also so, have go ahead. crystallized. Well, I was just say, we also have crystallized candy sugar, like the which is rock candy, rock candy, which oh, stupid BSG yeah. sent me the other day. Uh, crystal, crystallized candy sugar, invert sugar, and rock candy are all exactly the same thing. So then the last couple of sugars that we'll, we'll talk about today. The first one is going to be sucanat. So that's S-U-C-A-N-A-T, sucanat. As you can tell, I used to do spelling bees as a child because I am <laughs> incapable of spelling a word and not then saying the word after I'm finished spelling <laughs> it. Uh, but sucanat is made from crystallized pure cane sugar. Uh, so it is an, an unrefined sugar that's going to have a higher proportion of molasses than other types of cane sugar. So it's, you know, as we're talking through all of these, it seems like we have, uh, when we're talking about sucrose, right? Table sugar, that is highly refined. Everything has been stripped out of it. So it is just sweetness, right? Mm -hmm. So with our specialty sugars, these are really different, differing levels of slight refinement as opposed to total unrefinement. So even thinking about like when you buy, you know, white bread, like everything has been stripped out of that white bread versus when you buy wheat bread. So when we're talking about the, these others, other sugars, not specialty sugars, sugars with which most Americans are not familiar, does not make them specialty. Uh, these are going to be varying levels of refinement. Um, so we're getting closer to that original product that the original sugar beet or the original sugar cane, 
So sucanat is crystallized pure cane sugar. Uh, so it has a really intense, rather burnt taste uh, that it makes sense in things that are spiced. So I could see like Rachel, when you were talking about your Belgian beers, like I could see sucanat being a really good addition to something like a Belgian dark strong, because mm-hmm. it's going to give you that complexity It's going to have kind of an intense flavor, but it's also going to be a flavor that a lot of people, you know, so what they say about Belgian beers is like, if you can pick out the spices used, you've used too much of it. Yeah. I could see something like Sukunat being a really good sugar like addition. Yeah, yeah. Because it would be something where people would be like, this seems familiar, but I can't quite. Yeah. 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 So it, but that the flavor profile of it being intense, kind of burnt uh, makes sense because we're dealing with very unrefined cane sugar. So thinking about molasses being basically like molasses added into what we know as sugar is going to be what, uh, what sucanat is going to be like. And then the next one we can talk about is from, is an Indian sugar. So this is jaggery and Rachel, do you want to tell us about jaggery? I like that word jaggery, like the way it is. It's a, uh, Indian palm sugar, uh, that is pale and rich and creamy. Great for light and dark beers as well. But um, it is made from palm or coconut or Java plants and comes compressed into like a patty cake or to a cone. It has an earthy sweet flavor. And um, right. Well, for the for beer specifically, yeah, it was also used in, you know, India and England has a very long history of colonization, but in British brewing, it actually has a bit of a history because in the early 19th century, and if I remember correctly, this is about the time of like the Free Mash Ton Act, when Br- British mm. brewers were able to use different ingredients besides malt in the mash ton. And so one of the reasons behind that was because they had some really terrible barley harvest. So there wasn't enough barley available to, uh, you know, to make beer, uh, which is also why so many English styles have allow for the use of adjuncts like sugar, uh, maize, you know, because, because of this, but jaggery was used to make up for some of those disastrous barley harvests, because like Rachel said, it has a, an earthy flavor, but it's also, you know, buttery, nutty. It has fruity aspects. So when you're thinking about English styles and you're thinking about English malt in particular, jaggery made a really good substitution in a lot of English styles. And then, so the last one we have to discuss is Pilancio. And this is a manufactured mostly in Colombia, but it's very popular in Mexico and Central America. So it's used for a variety of purposes, but it um, can have like anywhere from a light caramel nuttiness to a really deep rumminess. And this is the one that if I remember correctly, it comes in like a, a cone shape. Yeah. They like hearted it into a cone shape to, to yes. sell. Yeah. Cone so, and, holes. and I have seen Pilancio in recipes uh, like mole sauces, soups, And I think, again, this because it has that strong kind of smoky molasses flavor or, you know, that's kind of on the darker end or like even a light caramel nuttiness. I would love to see something like a Palancio in a in some kind of a Belgian, darker Belgian beer, again, to add like that dimension of mystery to to the beer and the overall 
profile of it. I think that would be really good. So Rachel, get on that for me. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's going to wrap up our uh, episode on sugars. And Rachel has, I think, a sufficient amount of sugar poured on her. So (laughs) I've been sitting here the whole time, doused in sugar. (laughs) Right. It's like the, yeah, it's like just slowly. Yeah. um, Candy syrup sugar to be exact. So she's dripping off my face. Yep. Yeah. Um, It's been real weird to watch this unfold (laughs) on Zoom while we're recording. Um, But Rachel has had enough sugar poured on her and never, (laughs) never enough. Thank you everyone for listening. As always, you can reach us on social media at false bottom girls on Instagram and Facebook. You can email us false bottom girls at gmail.com. And you can also head over to our website, falsebottomgirls.com to learn more about us, to click through all of our episodes, also to uh, check out our Patreon and learn about the different ways you can become a patron. And I think it's been a while since we've made this request, but please, if you have two minutes in your day, like, review, and subscribe to our podcast that helps us in the algorithm and it helps more people learn about us. Uh, So if you can, we would be much appreciative of leaving us just a quick review and also liking and subscribing to the podcast. So thank you everyone for listening and we will talk to you next time. This has been False Bottom Girls and we make the Bruin world go round.